Do you work for an organization with a large supply chain where raw materials or intermediary products come from abroad? In that case, your business is likely to severely harm biodiversity and indigenous people, and maybe even without you knowing about it. So what impact does our current economy have on biodiversity? And what does it mean for us? And how does this relate to indigenous people? ABN AMRO, Bank and Impact Institute have researched this question. They found out that the Dutch economy is damaging our Earth's ecosystem services for about 40 billion euros a year. This is 2,300 euros per year per Dutch citizen. And this damage is caused by cacao, palm oil, uh, raw materials we use for laptops, cars and buildings, but also think about chemicals, fertilizers for agriculture, food for cattle, land grabbing, etc. You must know that when the amount of species in nature goes down significantly, it means that entire ecosystems can collapse. And if we go on like this, we ultimately do not have access anymore to these ecosystem services like food, water, raw materials, medicines, fresh air, etc. On top of that, we are ruining our living conditions on Earth. And according to ABN AMRO Bank, our companies must apply fair pricing strategies by which we take into account the effects on biodiversity and also for decision-making on investment decisions. But when talking about biodiversity, how can we repair the damage that we have caused? And basically, we are still causing. Uh, lucky for us, there are people in this world who know everything about protecting nature and creating a biodiverse world. These are the indigenous people. The only downside is that also their way of living is severely under pressure. And today I will be talking to Raki Ab, the new Guinea expert, who will share his insights with us. And in this show, you will learn how we have an immense impact on nature and ultimately ourselves how our companies destroy local communities and what Western companies can learn from indigenous people and how we must work together to protect our economies, the communities involved and nature. So let's start. When we are watching the news or reading the newspapers, we can really become depressed because we are facing an existential crisis of climate change and biodiversity loss. But we can do something to slow down these effects and to turn the tides. In this podcast, we will learn from fellow change makers, people who are changing the world, who are pioneering and brave to make things happen. Thanks, Dinke. Welcome, Raki. It's a true pleasure to have you on the show. Could you briefly introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Ninka. Thanks for having me. So my name is uh, Raki Op. Um, I work as civil servant in the Netherlands under the Ministry of Interior. Um, but I'm also the international spokesperson for the Free West Papa campaign. And most of the people in the Netherlands know me as the indigenous climate change activist. And what, what triggered you to become involved in sustainability, in this climate activist role? Yes, yeah, yeah. so in the first place, there was not a connection. I was uh, mostly active to educate people about what is happening in West Papua, the land that I had to flat um, uh, because of the gross human rights violation. 
and the ongoing colonialism, which is happening there, unfortunately. Uh, but at some point, when I got political active in the Netherlands with a with a Green Party, and that's also for about four years ago, 2018, 2017, mm -hmm. um, where I was connected with the Dutch climate change movement, which was very interesting for me, new, but the, I saw some hooks regarding what is what is happening in West Papua and the bigger picture in the climate and biodiversity crisis because West Papua, uh, together with the uh, with the eastern part of the island, New Guinea, is the world's largest tropical island, slash it has the third largest um, uh, rainforest in the world. So I saw the immediate connection between fossil fuel activities, mining corporations, palm oil plantations, and what is happening in West Papua and why I had to flood my country. So, uh, and then can you I... tell us a bit about how you fled this country? Because I remember you were like a child, like yes. you're the womb of your mom. Yes, yes. thank you, Nienke. So, the reason I fled my West Papua because uh, our father, Arnold Apu, was a uh, anthropologist and a famous musician, a kind of Bob Marley for the people of West Papua, was assassinated by the Indonesian military four months before I was born. Wow. Um, and that was the reason, of course, that we fled to the neighboring Papua New Guinea where I was born. Um, and a year later, we, we arrived in the Netherlands in 1985. Um, and yeah, so so my father's songs basically inspired the entire nation uh, and, and all the 250 different tribes that West Papua have. Um, and because of his songs, the, the Indonesian government uh, it, which is the new colonizer. For those who didn't know, West Papua was a former Dutch colony, like Suriname and the Netherlands Antilles, but it's almost, you know, forgotten in the, in the institutions. Okay. That's why a campaign comes in to educate people about, about West Papua, the former former you know, colony of the Netherlands, but also the ongoing human rights violation, because my father's story is just one of the 500,000 stories estimated by NGOs that so much victims have been there the, the last 60 years. So that's that's a little bit of histor historical context, but um, another layer of injustice are those of the corporations, and this is the connection between the climate and biodiversity crisis. Because West Papua has the world's largest gold mine, the second okay. largest copper mine, and BP BP is also there with enormous um, exploitation areas, and all of these activities are basically destroying the lives of indigenous peoples in the first place, those who lived there for thousands of years in peace and harmony with this ecosystem until they came in. And now this, this environment has been, you know, destroyed and rivers are being poisoned and, you know, palm oil plantations have changed the entire millions of hectares of landscape. So the connection I have made when I become connected with the Dutch climate change movement is the, the connection between ongoing colonialism, land grabbing of indigenous peoples, and you know, forest clearing and the de destroying of unique ecosystem. This is the world's largest tropical island. It has described and, and a nature. Can you take us, take us uh, along on the journey? Like, how does it work? I imagine that. Uh, can you can you tell us? Because I'm I'm living in in Holland. Eh? We have a very yeah. relatively pleasant life, of course, in comparison. Yeah. yeah. And then, can you tell us about how was the nature and how is it at this moment in time? Because I hear you talking about gold mine, about copper, yeah. which is used a lot also in, 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 in um, new technologies. I hear yes. you talking about palm oil, so that's a lot of yes. land grabbing, I guess. So yes. can you show us, like, take us along? How does it look? How is it? 
to be there. So, yeah, so imagine we are right here in, in the Netherlands, for example. Imagine you live you live in Utrecht City, which is mm -hmm. the almost the center of the Netherlands. Imagine that the world's largest gold mine is located there. Just imagine that. Yeah. That for this exploitation, the Utrechters have been forced to leave their homes. And if they didn't want to cooperate, the Dutch government will invite, for example, the German army to make sure that they, you know, um, uh, get rid of the, the Utrechters who stand up and fight for their rights and lands. Um, just imagine that. And because they didn't want to collaborate, that all the Utrechters were murdered. Imagine that uh, the entire Netherlands didn't like that because the gold mine belongs to them and they don't see any benefit from that gold mine. It's going to uh, German corporations, the US corporations. Just imagine that. Yeah, so it's all going because, outside of the country. Exactly. And because the Netherlands stood up, one third of their population have been killed because of all this profit. This is one mine. One of those persons is your father because he one was, of those persons of, is my he father. was protesting. Exactly. So the Dutch stood up, but it wasn't only this gold mine. Later, palm oil came in. Later, BP came in and many other corporations who have forced even more Dutch people to flood their homes and family members being, being killed. Imagine this. This is, this is not a, you know, a movie scenario. This is real life for the people of West Papua. Yes. And what does it do with the nature? So how does the nature look around Utrecht? So, so you know, everywhere these corporations are coming in, forests have been cleared off. And much, much later, you know, the entire ecosystem and species are disappearing. That's what's happening. So if you allow me to bring forward one crucial outcome of the UN IPCC, um, the, the UN, you know, United Nations um, Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, in the reports, they've outlined the importance that indigenous peoples like the West Papuans have played. They outlined that just 5% of world's population exists of indigenous peoples and that their way of life have contributed to the preservation of more than 80% of world's remaining biodiversity. 80% this is a fundamental of world's biodiversity because is, of the 5% indigenous people. It's on their land. This is indigenous lands like West Papua. So another outcome of, for in this case, a, a Green Left initiative nota in the Dutch parliament have showed that 96% of world's deforestation uh, happens on the same indigenous lands due to palm oil, soya mining and fossil fuel activities. So if you put these two numbers next to each other, indigenous peoples have preserved 80% of what's remaining biodiversity because of and 96% of our deforestation because our consuming needs happens on the same indigenous land. The most obvious, just and effective and cheapest climate solution would be protect the lives of indigenous peoples, right? So the forest will stay there ecosystems won't disappear and we've got less carbon em emissions because it will stay in the ground. Mm -hmm. So this is this is in a, in the red line of the indigenous perspectives on climate change. Yeah. Whether we are talking about, you know, um, carbon emissions reducing, force protection, how are we going to do that if we are keep pushing indigenous peoples from the land? Th this is the general question. And what you see in West Papua is a clear showcase of you know colonial structures because in this case ongoing colonization is still happening there we got capitalism you know big corporations not respecting our human lives our human rights and we got institutional racism that if you compare what the attention that we support for the in this case the people in ukraine uh, what about 500,000 indigenous West Papuans? Our, our, our lives are that word like the people in ukraine this is the question that we ask institutions in the netherlands but globally. 
And if you reverse that, if indigenous peoples in West Papua, but in general, got the same support like the Ukrainians got today, we didn't work in this climate and biodiversity crisis. It's that simple. This is the role of institutions. This is the role of whose lives matter and whose not. And it is hard. But how could you describe it differently than what I'm just saying now? And this is this is the storytelling that I try to bring over, just to make people so, feel the urgency. What are the ways that you actually do that? Because I see uh, uh, messages from you coming in on, on university. I see a lot going on on LinkedIn. So can you explain what it is that you do to actually share this message and yes. to, uh, to help? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I use every asset I have, every platform I have, because um, I strongly believe that people need to hear these kind of stories. This kind of perspective it's a different story in you know climate solution a totally different but one yeah, what that you is... often see is that climate change gets uh, quite a lot of attention but on the other end the biodiversity is equally as important but they get this this aspect gets less attention than than the climate um now we had this week the un biodiversity conference mm. 15 in montreal yes where the outcome was to have at least 30 percent of the land and the water to be protected and what do you think of that outcome yeah i i have big questions regarding that i saw a, a positive sign that they involved indigenous peoples finally in the way they should because as i mentioned before indigenous peoples are part of that 80 percent of biodiversity so how are you going to protected 30%, which is too too less in my in my case, from my point of view, but at least they involved indigenous people. So um, I think in every decision-making process, whether it is nationally or by the UN organized or whatever stakeholder you are, you can't talk about biodiversity without indigenous peoples. They are the most important stakeholder in every decision-making process. And so the UN should be cooperating and all the countries should be cooperating with the indigenous people because they are the experts in protecting nature. They live exactly. with nature, in harmony with nature, while we, most of us in the Western world, will live uh, on top of nature. And we, we feel like nature is there to serve us, which is not the case. That's why we're in this situation right now. Because if we reverse that and we lived and thought like indigenous peoples, we, were, we, we didn't create this mess, right? So... And that's why the ecosystem in indigenous people's lands is flourishing. That's why it's still there 80%. And yeah. I think what we can learn from them is the connection that they still have with their environment, with nature. If they don't see themselves separate from nature. They're part of that nature. That's a different view to you know the world than uh, we learned here in the global north. So if you would ask me, so what's the way forward? Yeah. I would say, I would say, so what, we need an other kinds of thinking. And, and it should start from grade one uh, to university. So, so when the input... What would be to we uh, as teachers, for example, teach our children in grade one? So, so I would say that we should start um, making the feeling that, you know, we, 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 be, we, should, we should see nature as part of us. So go out and let the kids play them so they feel um, uh, your connection between their environment. It's not something new when they are, you know, jumping into the forest. And, you know, so you will feed that, you know, of course, uh, when they're kids, you can't learn to give them a lot of, you know, learning process. But just being there is a part of an, an um, feeling element because feeling should be part of our education, if you ask me. That's how indigenous peoples feel connected because, you know, they listen to the rivers. 
they listen, they to, listen the to the rivers. Yes, absolutely. The, and uh, so and it's all connected. Well, you know, um, you you at some point you will hear a different noise when the rivers will make another bow. So so when you are there, you you hear the changes in sound. So you you see that what is going on in our environment. So being there will learn you. I haven't learned that, but these are the stories that I gathered from you know. Yeah, because from you elders. have to flood the country. Yeah, I have to flood the country. But they, you know, when you hear the indigenous peoples, they almost know every corner of the forest the sound of the river and it sounds strange but when the rivers are changing because of erosion it will have another sound so it's a warning right that there's something happening and when you don't have this connection you know you won't hear the sounds obviously with you know with the result that you know the, the this ecosystem would this would change uh, because our activities and that's what we see in, in the global north and other parts of the world so i think in the first place just talking about nature being in the nature on on, on grade one and then feeding it to understand that, you know, uh, what is should be our relation with the tree? Is it something that we should consume or is it something more? Is it something that we should give also the same tree to our kids, to future generations? This kind of stories is what we need. So you build a relationship with a tree and your environment. So when, when you know, you, you have these talks with, with children and with students at, at um, um, older age, you know, the output of this students and children will be very different because you have invested in humans and environment and nature relationships. And this is what, you know, uh, children and generations for thousands of years have done in, in, in you know, in on, on tribes by indigenous um, uh, village, peoples and villages. So through storytelling around the fire, you got a kind of, uh, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think this kind of, you know, uh, uh, slogans are underlining this, the, the community spirit and that well-being is an essential part of what you educate each other. That, this is how we stay together. This is how we take responsibility for our community and the environment. So, and if you would ask this, just the both of us, where have we learned this? That's cool. Where have, I've asked this to several students, to biologists, except where have you where have you learned this? That yeah, nowhere. So no. it, it it's not then it's not strange, right? That we get disconnected from um, yeah, nature in the first place. At this moment in time, you are also uh, educating, uh, or you're part of uh, of universities. You you've been yeah. asked to lecture there. Yeah. How do do uh, young people respond to it? If you now well, when they have already gone through our. Uh, the normal regular socialization basically and then yes. your stories how yes. do they respond yeah this is this really a, a magical moment to be honest because these are master students usually that i give uh, on universities like wageningen uh, leiders and wageningen is the so-called number one to, yeah. very you know a prominent institution not yeah. only netherlands but globally as well regarding ecosystem biodiversity and then i came in as a pra yeah. practical educated guy Bringing a perspective that really silence, and I'm not joking, silencing the class, including the lecture, the teacher. And when I finish my presentation, I ask you, well, it resonates here, right? And so, and I said, this is something that the lecturer should educate us, right? But it is overwhelming you. It is new for you. So I said, what are the gaps that we are uh, facing in? And I said, exactly these gaps has caused, um, has resulted in 
us being in this climate and biodiversity crisis. Because if this knowledge was learned to the professors 50 years ago, we could have protected so much land because indigenous peoples were on the number one in every policy regarding biodiversity ecosystems. So now you've heard about it. Now you can become this good ancestor yourself. Because the only yeah. thing what I've will done... they now be doing? What do they? What do will they be bringing? So, so, so the secret answer to that is now you can become a storyteller yourself with this perspective. And the only thing you have to do is to bring people together, exactly like the conversation we have here or that the guests like you have in the class to share this important perspective that we've missed for much too long. And my invitation to them is that you know by telling this kind of stories, perspectives, you will plant a seed in another human being. So that person can be inspired or can, you know, receive that, you know, crucial knowledge, if you ask me, to become that good uh, uh, ally or ancestor or earthling um, themselves. And this is, this, is, this is my hope, because when I educate this, they feel the urgency in the first place, because I tell my personal story regarding West Papua, but in the Netherlands, I also saw them, who of you have heard about this pub? And just a few hands come up. And this, this is shared history. So the fact that even prominent institutions, history teachers, do not know what is happening in the former colony, knowing that this is the world's largest tropical island. They don't know about the ecocide, the environmental destruction, and the human lives that we just bring there. It's underlining the gaps and the, you know, the gaps in our institutions. So filling these gaps with powerful stories that can underline the urgency, but the insight at the same time, inspiring the, the listeners, the students to learn about, you know, important perspective and then become a, you know, a change maker themselves by sharing this kind of stories in their own communities, in their own circles. And that's basically what gives me a lot of energy because I see that they become powerful change makers several weeks later when they contact me and said, Rocky, I want to organize another event. I want to organize a film screening or invite you to another university. And this has kept me busy for so the, it's kind of a ripple the last effect. few years. So you're being invited all over again. That's times. it. That's, that's, it's, it's crazy. The last two pandemic years was crazy for me. Yeah. And the only thing I've done, uh, Nienke, is this. Basically yeah, having you, this kind of conversation. You have been doing this already for 20 years. So you have come from a long way and it's a long path it's not always easy and now it seems like more and more people are asking about your stories so yes where are you in the last weeks where have you been yes i many places i've uh, i went to new york and um, at the un general assembly with our delegation to educate and lobby for the uh, the situation in west papua but i was also at cop 27 uh, in uh, sharm el sheikh in egypt where we have promoted a so-called Green State Vision. We've launched it at COP26, um, the Green State Vision, which is a cutting-edge indigenous proposal, basically underlining um, the indigenous perspective on climate change, a solution that West Papua also offers to the world. this perspective, how many uh, parties are, how many indigenous, uh, what do you call it, the tribes mm -hmm. are, are part of that? Uh, from, from what exactly, Nika? From the, the uh, vision that you proposed. Oh, so the Green State Vision is a proposal by the West Papuans, so indigenous people of West Papua. Um, and we are basically put, you know, our norms and values and the way we like to govern to drive more democracy, you know, that profit is a lost effort and well-being of the people and environment. So we've put it on paper and we've called it the Green State Vision. 
how we wanted to manage the greenest island in the world uh, for for more centuries. Um, we put it on paper and called it the Green State Vision, and you know just uh, tried to promote it with governments and import international stakeholders to you know to welcome it. Uh, to be honest, so, so that's why we governments, were... but also the, the companies, right? Behind absolutely, the, absolutely. The gold mines, the copper mines, the BP, etc. That that would be lovely, but these parties are usually uh, you know not uh, in our neighborhood. They're not willing to receive us, unfortunately. Uh, okay. But yes, if you know, we're looking forward to to talk with them about. So if any uh, listeners they... is is uh, from that company and listening in on this show, what will be your message to them? Please, uh, let's have a seat and talk about the Green State Vision and how all of us can take um, our responsibility in in this climate and biodiversity crisis as good ancestors to be good ancestors. Oh yeah, indeed, indeed. And if there's one thing our listeners must remember from this podcast, what would it be? To strongly believe that in every single person, there's a superhero. And that after hearing this, I want them to believe that they are not powerless. They are not powerless. Let me repeat that. And by just telling this kind of stories, another story, you can ignite a fire in another human being. And that's how change begins. And what is your hope for the future? Um, that we will um, find the human being in 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 every one of us, and it will, we will write history by stop the climate and biodiversity crisis. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. For more information on Raki Up, I have added a link to the show notes. And if you feel this was interesting to you, then please review this podcast by giving it a five-star rating. And you can share it with your network. So even more people can become inspired. By following this podcast, you can stay tuned for more inspiring episodes.